Hello, and welcome to PrimeMed's podcast on best practices for tapering of opioids. We welcome Dr. Charles Argoff. Dr. Argoff is a professor of neurology at the Albany Medical College and director at the Comprehensive Pain Center at Albany Medical Center. The learning objectives of this podcast are, one, review approaches to opioid tapering, and two, summarize counseling strategies for patients on opioid therapy. Before we get started, let me remind everyone that this podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from the Opioid Analgesic REMS program companies. For more information, please visit the activity page for this podcast on www.primed.com. This is Dr. Charles Argoff, a professor of neurology at Albany Medical College and director of the Comprehensive Pain Management Center at Albany Medical Center in Albany, New York, as well as director of the Pain Management Fellowship Program at Albany Medical Center in Albany, New York, as well. And the title of this podcast is Best Practices for Tapering of Opioids. So there's a new consensus statement entitled Ensuring Patient Protections When Tapering Opioids, Consensus Panel Recommendations. And this was just published in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings in October of 2020. Dr. Ed Covington, who recently retired from the Cleveland Clinic, where he was the director and psychiatrist and director of their chronic pain rehabilitation program, and a group of experts from a wide range of fields, including addiction medicine and neurology. I am the second author of this paper, um, and others came together to provide guidance to uh, fellow clinicians about safe opioid tapering. Uh, we met as a multidisciplinary panel of clinicians, and in fact, part of this process and the paper is a patient advocate. Um, and together, we formulated this document. So I am sure, or I, I would feel fairly certain that it's challenging enough to know when to initiate opioid therapy for a person experiencing chronic pain, but it is also challenging to come to a mutual decision or to otherwise consider opioid tapering or discontinuation. And so in our practices, we face, not infrequently, the concerns about how do we do this and how can we do this uh, appropriately, or by while at the same time ensuring patient protections. So opioid tapering or discontinuation is generally indicated either because of adverse effects of the medication um, or because of failure of opioids to maintain benefit of pain reduction and improve function. Um, it also may be necessary for other reasons. Um, if the risk of opioid use, for example, outweigh the benefit or if the benefit is not evident, we the panel recommended that the opioid be discontinued. And there are certainly instances where, um, where a person may be, may, may, we may, may find out that a person is abusing or misusing um, an opioid in such a way that it's not safe to continue. And that can occur, as we know, in, in even in an in individual who is actually using the medication for an analgesic purpose, um, yet is having difficulties controlling his or her use of their medication. Um, certainly due to our existing opioid crisis, many strategies have been put into place 
to reduce opioid prescribing, period. I mean, literally across the board. And this has led to many unintended consequences. So what are some of the unintended consequences of abrupt opioid cessation? So as we've observed, and this has been documented in various ways, opioids have been abruptly discontinued even for individuals who had low risk, who or those who were doing well and were quote-unquote following all the rules. In another group of people where opioid tapering was medically warranted, the cessation of opioids was often abrupt, leading to withdrawal symptoms, uh, psychological distress, self-medicating with illicit drugs, uncontrolled pain, and even suicide. And so unintended consequences of our concern overall of inappropriate or potentially harmful opioid use, which in some instances, perhaps too many, has led to abrupt opioid cessation, have led to a number of really um, um, unpleasant outcomes, as I just mentioned. So let's think about the importance of safe opioid tapering and what, are, what may be the best practices for safe opioid tapering. Now, any medical treatment of any kind should certainly only be continued for as long as the benefits outweigh the harm. So this is true of um, any medicine that we prescribe, be it a antihypertensive medication, be it a medication for depression, be it a anti-GERD or reflux drug, as well as certainly for opioids. So if a person is demonstrating increased pain and decreased function and is asking for, you know, certainly is appearing not to do well while on long-term therapy, um, does that immediately mean that the opioids are not working or not working anymore? I think we have to, um, I think in the point of our, our approach in this paper was to highlight this could be a consequence of disease progression. So we need to think about that. A new comorbid condition that would help to explain why there was increased pain and decreased function, psychosocial or environmental factors, or a combination of these. And so we really do need to take a critical look at why, if for someone who had been doing well on opioids, suddenly um, it, long-term opioid therapy is not uh, for that person. And we then, when we're starting to think about safe opioid tapering. What are the, some of the risks of opioid tapering? Well, most people who agree to taper um, either benefit or are in harm. So if we have a discussion with a patient in our practice, any of us, and they, we, we talk about the uh, reasons for the taper and, and, and in a rational manner, um, and it's logical, and, and we agree, the patient agrees to a taper, um, they're going, that person is likely to benefit or be unharmed because there'll be a process laid out that each party um, is going to agree upon. And there's little research, however, of the consequences of non-consensual taper. And this is unfortunately something that has happened more recently. I mean, the harms of involuntary opioid discontinuation include overdose, um, termination of care, uh, increased ER, emergency room utilization, and suicidal ideation or behavior. And patients often fear that pain will worsen, and this fear needs to be taken seriously. 
So again, we are at a stage of our understanding of opioid use, even in the best of circumstances, when we may discover that a person needs to be tapered. We also know in this world of opioid use that there are people who have abused and misused these medications, may not be using them for benefit, and they really should be tapered to reduce harm. However, when people are using opioids for their chronic pain and they're told one day, and they're using it successfully, that they must stop tomorrow, um, or some semblance of that kind of approach, people do fear that their pain is going to worsen. And we should really look at this in the point of view of taking this very seriously and seeing what we can do. So before we do that, let's just kind of review some of the indications for the tapering of long-term opioids. This was reviewed in this paper. Patient request. Don't like the way I'm feeling, uh, theoretically. Um, I, the patient says, um, I don't like the way I'm feeling, I, or I don't think I need these anymore, or I'd like to try to be opioid-free. Um, so patient request. There are other reasons for requesting as well. Um, there is diminishing analgesia. So you, you've been working, we've been working with a particular person or group of people you know, individually, and that these people are finding that they're having fewer, uh, less pain relief, and it doesn't appear appropriate to continue that, that particular opioid medication. There's a deterioration of quality of life that's not explained by the medical condition or another reason. And so there's concern that the opioid itself may be having an adverse event. There's an unacceptable medical risk, and there are certainly a number of, of ways in which continued opioid use could be associated with an unacceptable medical risk. There's a significant risk to benefit disparity, meaning that the risk is much higher than the benefit. There are active harms, such as it's the recognition of um, the person that you're that, that has been prescribed opioids to is, is, is diagnosed or has also been diagnosed with opioid use disorder. And so that condition is one in which we'd want to avoid opioids if we could. Uh, and, and the person's um, use, continued use of opioids may be associated with high risk because of the dose, high dose, or the combination of different medicines. So a good example there might be the combination of an opioid and a benzodiazepine. Uh, can increase the risks of uh, respiratory depression, um, unintentional um, uh, respiratory depression and death, um, and, to, and of course, uh, um, other uh, 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 adverse outcomes. And another indication for tapering of long-term opioids is the fact that some people, um, by, de by repeatedly demonstrating aberrant behaviors, taking more medicine than prescribed, um, uh, to control their pain or, or uh, uh, other uh, inappropriate behaviors may be putting themselves at risk as well. So before initiating a, paper, a, a taper, before initiating the taper, we need to systematically assess and reevaluate the underlying causes of pain. Remember, we are tapering someone who has chronic pain. We are tapering someone who, who if we taper, work on tapering that person, that person's pain may change. We want to evaluate the underlying cause of the pain. We want to be positioned to be able to consider other options. We want to talk not only to the patient, but also perhaps the patient's family. We want to make this as successful a process as possible. And input from a patient and his or her family is important. Of course, um, as mentioned previously, 
If this is done in a consensual manner, so getting a patient's consent and collaboration is far more likely to be successful. And even if there is a little resistance on the part of the patient, we, and, but we as the clinician feel that it's very important to taper for a variety of reasons, it is our ultimate decision to make. An opioid taper agreement is important. So we have opioid treatment agreements that I'm sure you've used perhaps in your practice, but an opioid taper agreement um, can also be very, very helpful in considering, uh, in, in helping this to be successful um, because that agreement can, can, can delineate the steps that are, that are going to be made and how it's going to be done. And I'd like to make a point right here um, that, you know, a, a taper can take a long time. Um, there's there's a, a part of the discussion with a patient could include this going on over a slow, uh, you know, a long period of time. So slow tapers can really make take months or years. And this was a, a, a key point of one of the statements that came out of this consensus panel. Um, we want to address depression, anxiety, and insomnia before initiating the taper. We want to consider the opioid use disorder um, diagnosis in, in, in someone and um, how that may, may, if someone is being tapered and is being tapered because they are experiencing opioid use disorder, they've been diagnosed with OUD, then are we treating OUD? Can we, can we think about, um, you know, medication-assisted treatment or other treatments for OUD to assist or to, to direct the way in which we taper that person. Uh, we want to be able to offer other pain treatment modalities. And that could be uh, certainly pain management, like other areas of medical care, is quite individualized. So we may want to consider what's best for that person, for that particular pain type. But we want to be positioned, well positioned, to offer other pain treatment modalities. And we want to be able to explain that decision to people. We want people to understand why it is that we're doing this and offer doses that it's not one day you're taking 100 and the next day you're taking zero, but offer decreasing tapering doses. Um, really, a rapid reduction of dose should only be considered in case of truly imminent danger. During tapering, we want to ensure our patient's safety so that certainly requires close observation. So it might, might be, um, we, you know, as we embark upon this, we want to ensure the availability of our clinical support. Daily visits during the first week might be helpful and help improve outcome and be safer. Uh, we want to, these can be virtual or telephone visits. And then weekly or every other two weeks thereafter, um, in, in some instances, um, may be the best way to ensure safety during the taper. We have to anticipate and then manage the withdrawal symptoms. And the rates of opioid reduction are very important. So the bottom line is that the taper rate is going to be determined by the patient's ability to tolerate it. So for a fast taper, you might do a 10% reduction of the previous week's dose. A slower taper, a 10% reduction of the previous month's dose. A slower taper is certainly going to be considered or recommended when, when someone has been using opioids long-term because that's more likely to um, be successful for that person. And a slow taper therefore might require months or years. What are some of the pharmacologic adjuvants that can be used during a taper? 
Well, three, three alpha-2 adrenergic agonists, clonidine, tizanidine, and lofexidine, um, they're all alpha-2 adrenergic agonists, um, have been used to mitigate, to reduce opioid withdrawal symptoms during a taper. Clonidine, probably many people are very familiar with. It's used uh, perhaps the most commonly. Tizanidine, some of you may realize, is in, is a, a um, medication with similar actions as clonidine, though it doesn't cause as much hypotension. Um, and both clonidine and tizanidine in this setting would be used off-label. Um, Lofexidine is actually uh, a medication that's been recently FDA approved to treat opioid withdrawal symptoms. Um, and um, so of these three, lofexidine is a, the newest to be available and also the one with the specific FDA approval. And, you know, you might consider um, using buprenorphine or, you know, medication-assisted treatment as, as an adjuvant during taper. I have personally seen several people in my practice who have um, been referred to me for chronic pain who were also treated for opioid use disorder or recognized to be experiencing or have opioid use disorder and were switched by a, another provider to, from a, a traditional opioid to buprenorphine um, to assist in, in, in this opioid tapering or re opioid reduction approach. And that's been, uh, that can be very successful. Patients with opioid use disorder um, should very likely be on a medication-assisted treatment program and may be needed to be managed not only by the person who is managing the opioid use disorder, but also uh, consider referral to a pain specialist as well. So some of the key takeaways from uh, my review of, of this paper is uh, do not abruptly stop long-term opioid therapy except for reasons of diversion or extreme patient danger. Do not abandon patients or make cold referrals to other clinicians. Consider a high opioid dose a risk factor, but not a definitive indication for taper. A dose reduction may not be indicated in the absence of serious risk when there is evidence of benefit. So that's important. Uh, dose reduction itself um, um, may not be indicated if, if there is no clear risk when there's clear evidence of benefit. Um, seek patient consent and collaboration during taper. And this often is going to be um, very successful, unlike involuntary tapering. So helping a person to understand why the taper is important, if that person didn't come up, you know, suggest this to begin with, and getting that person's consent so that it's a collaboration and partnership will help to ensure or increase the likelihood of success and document what is being done during this process and document the treatment response. Well, I want to thank you for um, your, uh, you know, listening to this uh, podcast, and I hope this has been of value to you. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description where there is a direct link to the activity page on primid.com for claiming CME credit.